Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and have life abundantly. John 10, verse 10. It's a promise of our Lord Jesus. He tells us that he came so that we may have abundant life. I remember learning that about Jesus when I was a young boy, right around the time that I was learning from the adults in my life what it would require for me to achieve the American dream. That if I stay in school and I work hard enough and I keep my nose clean, I will be able to achieve basically health and wealth and security. And I think in my developmental brain, I equated those two promises. That what Jesus was offering, the abundant life, would look a lot like what was being promised by this world. Health, wealth, security. That if I do things right, nothing really bad will happen to me. And a number of us learn this not intentionally, but we maybe begin to develop an expectation that if we believe in Jesus, he will deliver health, wealth, and security. And we begin to doubt him a little bit if those things don't look that way in our lives. But what he actually promised was abundant life. So what is abundant life? Well, we're going to see in our scripture today that the abundant life Jesus promises us is way better than health, wealth, and security. That the abundant life that Jesus offers us means that even when we are suffering, we are firmly in the hands of God. That even in the natural world, miracles can be happening. And even in sorrow, there can be great joy. Now, I've just made three claims. That even in suffering, we are firmly in the hands of God. Even in the natural world, miracles can be happening. And even in sorrow, there can be great joy. I've made those claims at the beginning of this sermon under the heading that these are depictions of what happens in the abundant life promised by Jesus. I've made those claims because I believe that they are illustrated for us in our scripture today. And I want us to look at it together as a parallel to our lives so that we might better understand what is being offered by this promise of Jesus of what the abundant life might look like for us. So let's look at that first claim together. If you've put your Bible away, I encourage you to take it back out. And if you're watching at home, you'll be able to see the scriptures right on your screen. They'll be on the wall behind me as well for those of you who are here in the room. You know, there's more people tuning in at home right now than there are in the room. We want to be mindful and praying that the Holy Spirit is in every home as we dive into this word together. So that first claim, that even in suffering, we are firmly in the hands of God. Let's look at the way this story begins. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Things aren't going that well for the early church. 
This is the group of people to whom Jesus said, I've come that you might have abundant life. And look how it's going. About that time, Herod, the king, this is the authority over the whole land. How is he treating the church? He's laying violent hands on them, killing whomever he wants to, and playing it up for the crowds. If the people who heard Jesus say that he came to give abundant life, if they had the expectation that the abundant life meant health, wealth, and security, they might be doubting if Jesus was true at this moment, see? And that's what might happen to us if we believe that what Jesus is offering is simply like the American dream or something where nothing goes wrong in our lives. Jesus doesn't promise that nothing will go wrong in our lives. He doesn't even promise health, wealth, and security. He says, I've come that you might have abundant life. Here's another promise that he made. He said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Do you remember learning about that story in the book of Daniel where Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are captured because they refuse to bow down and worship a false god. They're captured by the king and they're thrown into a fiery furnace. There they are. The furnace has been uh, kindled so hot that the guards who brought them into it die when they try to bring the three friends in there. They get shoved into this furnace, and the king looks into the furnace, looking to see if his victims have died. Not only does he see them still alive, you might remember what he reports also seeing in there. He sees, I see the three, and I see a fourth. And the fourth one, according to the king, looked like a son of the gods. Could it be that this king was seeing Jesus in the fiery furnace with those people, you see Jesus promised to always be with us, even in the fiery furnace, even in the trial, even in the suffering. God could have arranged that story for Daniel's three friends to have them avoid the furnace altogether. God could have done that. But he fulfilled his promise to always be with them. And whatever fiery furnace anyone here or anyone watching at home is experiencing right now, God's promise is sure. The abundant life includes this idea that God is with you. That's what happens to Peter. The first three verses are looking pretty grim, but let's pick it up in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, like the three friends in the fiery furnace. There's Peter in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Now, is Peter all alone with those Roman guards? Verse 7, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell. The abundant life means that even when we are suffering, we are firmly in the hands of God. God is with us. Even when things are going wrong in our lives, how might we know this promise to be true? Well, it's to ask the Lord to open the eyes of our hearts to be able to behold. I love this word behold that Luke includes in here, the writer of Acts. Behold, an angel is standing next to Peter. Behold, that's, a, that's an eyes of the heart word. Behold, an angel. 
God is with us, and we have to ask him to open up the eyes of our hearts to have those behold moments so that we might see that even in the natural, even in the, the, the human and mundane occurrences of this world, the miraculous might be intertwined with them. The mundane and the miraculous mingled together. That's what happens in the abundant life. It's what happens in the next couple of verses. Let's pick up the story. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell. This is verse 7. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. For the next couple of verses, pay attention to how mundane some of the details are in the midst of the miraculous unfolding in Peter's story. Lauren was right when she said it sounds kind of like your mom telling you to put on your coat, put on your shoes. Look at these mundane, human, earthly instructions that the angel gives to Peter. The angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. It's almost like Peter forgot, you know. He's like, what's happening right now? There's an angel in the prison cell. He's getting dressed. Oh, don't forget your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And I love this next verse. He went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Is this the mundane? Or is this a miracle? Is this human? Or is this divine? Yes. Sometimes I hear the question, why don't miracles happen anymore? Maybe it's because we're expecting when a miracle happens that it would be so completely different and out of the ordinary. It would be like a fantasy or something. And we might have that expectation for a miracle, but most of the miracles we see taking place in Scripture are like this. It's the mundane and the miraculous mingled together. It's only afterwards that Peter recognizes the miracle that has taken place. Verse 10. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them out of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. Now I see, in hindsight, doesn't this happen sometimes in our lives, those of us living the abundant life offered by Jesus, it's only in hindsight that we see that was the hand of God in my life. When I thought something was going terribly or my expectations weren't being met or I was disappointed or I was confused, as Peter is here, we look at it sometimes in hindsight and we say, actually, God was intervening in my life. He was closing a door. He was sending a message. He was delivering me from a situation. That's what happens with Peter. The mundane and the miraculous mingled together. That's the abundant life. I remember 13 years ago when my son Riley was born. I had this experience in the hospital. Nancy was having an entirely other experience. I get that. I was having an experience too. And it illustrates this concept of the miraculous and the mundane, the human and the divine all mingled together. I was witnessing something before my very eyes that was, the, I was thinking to myself, this is the most natural thing I've ever witnessed. This is like the nature channel. I'm sorry to like bring it into your minds right now, but I do actually want you to visualize this, okay? I was thinking to myself, this is the most, this is arguably the most human thing we do. 
And at the very same time, I was having the most spiritual experience of my entire life. The natural and the spiritual, the Holy Spirit's presence was thick in the atmosphere of that room. The miracle of childbirth. Both of these things were happening at the very same time, right before me. I was having this unbelievable experience, natural and miraculous. That's the experience Peter had. Put on your, put on your belt. Don't forget your sandals. Let's go. While an angel is escorting him out of prison. That's the abundant life. Now, when my daughter Eva was born 10 years ago, it was a different experience once again. Whereas when Riley was born, it was what I would call very natural and spiritual, and he's turned into this very spiritual person. When Eva was born, it was funny. It was hilarious. I'm not going to go into details, but all I'm going to say is that the child came much faster than the nurses and doctors were ready. And we laughed. I laughed harder than Nancy. But it was funny, and she's a hilarious person. Why have I told you about my daughter's birth as well? Because of that third claim that I see happening here in this passage. The first one being, even in suffering, we are firmly in the hands of God. The second one, even in the natural world, miracles can happen. But the third one is that even in sorrow, there can be great joy. Another way of saying this is things can be funny while also being weighty. In the abundant life that Jesus offers, it's okay to laugh. Things can be funny, even when they're weighty. The next couple verses in our reading are funny. I heard a couple of you laughing when Gina read them. We're going to read them again right now. I'm convinced the only reason Luke included them in the story is because they're, they're funny. Let's look at it together, verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. Now, where's Peter when this is happening? But Peter continued knocking. He's like, you guys... I'm out here. I just escaped prison. I could probably die out here. James died. Remember the, the, the backdrop of this story. The first verse tells us that James has been killed. This is a weighty, serious, sorrowful, sad situation, and something funny happens in the midst of it. I can't wait to find Rhoda in glory. When I get to heaven, I'll be like, Rhoda, do you remember the time you forgot to open the door? I think they all had a good laugh about this later. It, things can be funny even when it's in the midst of weighty situations. There can be joy, even in the midst of sorrow. Now, this story that we're looking at this morning took place 2,000 years ago. And it really does illustrate, I think, the abundant life where even in suffering, we're firmly in the hands of God, where the mundane and the miraculous mingle and where there can be joy even in the midst of sorrow. This story takes place a long time ago, but it is still happening today. There's a story happening right now in our church that illustrates all the same things. There's a two-year-old in our flock whose parents discovered just a few weeks ago 
had a tumor in his brain. And they did emergency surgery, and they opened him up, and they pulled it out, and it's a cancerous tumor. The child's name is Charles A. Davis IV. He was named after his grandfather, Pastor Chuck, our former senior pastor. It's a weighty, sorrowful, difficult situation. And I went and I visited Christian in the children's hospital some days ago, and first thing I noticed about him is that he had shaved his head the same day young Charles had to have his head shaved. And there was a look in Christian's eyes. He looked like a man who's been on a battlefield because he has. He's been interceding, fighting for the life of his son. And he told me something that I really want to share with you all. He said he can feel the prayers of the church. And he said, don't let up. Keep praying. Did you notice what it said in verse 5 when Peter was in prison? Verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And here's an amazing thing that Christian said next that really illustrates the abundant life offered by Jesus. Christian had mentioned how important it is that you all are praying for them. He said, we can feel their prayers. And then he said, you know, I think this is actually good for the church because it's making people rise up and pray and be united in prayer. Think about that with me. Here's a young dad. His two-year-old son has cancer. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, here's something good, that the church is rising up in prayer. That's the abundant life, you see. Find me a young dad whose two-year-old son has cancer, who lives apart from Christ, who doesn't know the abundant life offered by God, find me that person who's finding something good in the midst of it all. That's the abundant life. That's not silver linings. That's not the power of positive thinking. That's Christian leaning into his Savior, Jesus, who promised to always be with them. They feel the presence of God in that hospital room, and he's recognizing even good coming out of a situation that is so sad. On Wednesday night, I sat around the fire pit in my backyard with Pastor Chuck and just a couple of other men who um, just over the years have been really close with Chuck. And we just gathered there to pray for Charles. And um, it, it was so good. It was so good. We were together with a couple of guys I hadn't seen, you know, face to face in a while. And we, we laughed together. We told old stories that we used to tell around the fire pit that always make us laugh. We prayed, we cried, we interceded for Charles, for his life. And like Bebby was talking about earlier in the stewardship moment, when the presence of God is with you, there's no place you'd rather be. You know that feeling? When the Holy Spirit is there, Everything's, you're just content. You're together like we are right now in this very moment. And I thought, isn't this amazing? We're gathered around this fire pit to pray for a two-year-old with cancer. You might think, I want to get out of this situation. But because of the presence of God, because of the abundant life, it was good to be together. Even for that reason. 
Isn't the abundant life way better than the American dream? It's richer and it's deeper and it knows what to do when things go wrong. It rests in the promise of the presence of God, no matter the circumstances. I don't know the fiery furnace that you face, the tragedy, the sorrow, the suffering, but I do know that the promise of Jesus is real, that the abundant life is available, it's good. It reminds us that even in suffering, we are firmly in the hands of God. Even in the mundane, miracles can be taking place. We might not even know about them until afterward. And there can be joy and lightness and humor, even in the midst of sorrow. You know, the abundant life, when it's described that way, when it's depicted like it is here in this story or in the situation with Charles, it really shouldn't come as a surprise to us because Jesus shows us all those things on the cross. He shows us that even in suffering, you can be firmly in the hands of God. He suffered greatly on the cross. But he was unfolding the sovereign plan, the redemption plan of the Father. He shows us that even in the human, miracles can be taking place, like a birth. A, his death on the cross was so human, it was so mundane for the Roman executors, but the, the miracle of God's grace was being poured out as his blood flowed. And the joy of salvation in the midst of the great sorrow of crucifixion not only is the abundant life spoken loudly from the cross, it roars from the empty tomb. Because death wasn't the final word. Crucifixion wasn't the final word. Resurrection was the final word of that story. And the eternal life afforded to us in the resurrection is the final word of Charles Davis's story, too. And of whatever situation you're facing, Jesus is the final word. And the abundant life he promised is available even now.